Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's Focus for Monday, January the 23rd, 2023 at 11.49 a.m. Central Time. Have you ever been listening to something and you found yourself getting embarrassed for the one speaking? You just found yourself uncomfortable. Maybe your face started turning red. You felt like you were sweating and it just, it just made you more uncomfortable the longer you listened. You didn't like it. It, it bothered you and you felt bad for the person speaking. Have, have, have you ever experienced that? Now, this is a common experience for me. If I, I loved listening to a lot of talk radio, right? I've been listening to it throughout my whole life. Not that I agree with it all. I typically disagree with a lot of the points of view, but I like the whole concept, right? That there is someone sitting somewhere in front of a microphone and they're talking to me about what's going on in the world, their thoughts, their opinions, whether I agree or disagree. I just like the whole medium of communication via, you know, audio. I I just like that. I like trying to, I wonder what the studio looks like. I wonder what the microphone looks like. There's just something about that. And I like hearing the opinions, maybe, maybe a breaking news, whatever the case may be. But the one thing I hate about talk radio The one thing I loathe about talk radio, the one thing that I despise is when the host says something like, well, now we're going to go to the phones and see what you think. And then they answer the phone. uh, Hello. And then the person is like, yeah, this is John from Georgia. Yeah, um, I, I I think that we should uh, kill all people, you know, whatever, just some crazy nonsense. And as soon as sometimes these people start talking, I just start, I just like, I start getting embarrassed. I don't know the person. They don't know me. Nobody can see me. I'm in my car or I'm at home, wherever I am. And I, but I just get, I get nervous. I get embarrassed. I feel bad for the person. I just feel bad. Well, this morning, those same feelings happened and I wasn't listening to talk radio. I was listening to a sermon on the gospel of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Now, first of all, I don't know how in the world you can cover those 18 verses in one sermon. That is already absolutely absurd and unreal to me. I, I mean, how, how is that even humanly? How can you even cover John chapter 1, verse 1 in one sermon? So I, I was already like, what is happening here? But it was so bad. It was so, I felt horrible for the guy. It, it felt like either... He had no time to prepare. It almost, this is what it, it, it almost felt like. And I say, I'm not, I'm not giving the name of the church or the name of the pastor and, and, and because I, the, the key is not to add any more embarrassment, but the feeling, and please note, I'm stating feeling because feelings do not obviously denote fact. It's just a feeling. I, I felt that like someone handed him the script. Now, now I got paper here, but in reality, it, 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 was, it was on an iPad. And it felt like he was handed the iPad, said, here's the sermon, get up there and preach it. And he had not looked at it or was even prepared. He stumbled through it, messed up illustration. It was just, it was just a train wreck. It was so, so bad. And it made me feel embarrassed for that person. But here's, here's kind of the negative side effects that experience gave me this morning. I found myself 
well, embarrassed about, like, I, how can I say this? I was embarrassed for them, but it made me start second guessing and doubting. Well, everything, like, I, I didn't want to even get in front of a microphone. I'm like, because look, I look, first of all, I know what it is to preach. And then when the sermon is over, because this has happened to me hundreds of times, the sermon is over. I get in the car and all I can do on the way home is I'm, I'm, I'm literally yelling at myself. That was stupid. That was dumb. You messed that up. What was that? What just happened? And it could be because of something I did. It could be because something happened. Who knows? It can be a million things. And, and I, many times I've come home I mean, before I, before the car's even officially stopped, I'm already jumping out of the car. I run inside and I delete it from everywhere on the internet. I delete it, delete it, delete it, delete it. Because I'm like, that was an embarrassment. Not only to me, it was an embarrassment to the word of God. It was an embarrassment to the name of Christ. And it, it just, so I know what that's like. But for some weird reason, this person's, to me, embarrassment. Now, he may not have been embarrassed by it. Nobody in the church may have thought it was bad. But to me, it was just one of the worst sermons that I've ever heard on on John chapter 1. And it wasn't the worst sermon as far as being heretical. It was just so, I don't really know what the point was. I don't really, it was just so bad. But it, the negative side effects is it's made me a little gun shy today. Like I'm afraid to sit in front of this microphone. I'm afraid to talk about anything. So then I start thinking, well, you know, for the today's focus, I've been telling everyone, well, today's focus is 1954 meet 2023. And I've found these seven concluding points written in a booklet in 1954, kind of about truth and the culture. I think they're very relevant to 2023. I think it's a good idea. But see, but then I was feeling like I was, I was second guessing myself. In other words, the embarrassment I felt for this person made me start second guessing myself. Right. And I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to do a, I'm supposed to do a podcast today. So then I'm like, I know what I'll do. I grabbed the sermons 2.0 app or the church one app. And I looked and I'm like, Ooh, 1954 meets 2023. Not a popular series of messages. Hmm. Not good. So then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. Should I judge the success of a message based off the number of downloads? That's not, that's not good because this sermon on John chapter one, verses one through 18 will, will have far more downloads than probably a lot of things that I do. They'll probably have far more. So th that doesn't prove that it's more successful. So then I just get into this. I, I, I go, I get way into my head going, okay, what should I do? So there's a part of me like, you know what? I just won't finish it. I just won't finish this because clearly this is not working. Clearly people are not interested in this. So if I just stop it and move on, nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to notice and nobody's going to care. Now, that could be depressing, but at least I can move on. But then I thought, you know, I can't do that. I can't let this sermon that I heard this morning get into my head, but it really, it messed with me. I felt the embarrassment, but then it made me so, start to doubt myself. And it's weird how, isn't it weird how one little thing can so impact you so much? It, it, it is so weird. So we're, what we're, we're going to do, and I know I'm taking, I'm obviously going to go long for this episode of the, of the Today's Focus podcast series, but remember the goal is to hand you one thing for you to focus on, so we're going to return back to our look at 1954, meet 2023. And if you remember correctly, 
This all comes from the following, all right? So let me just give you the basic background. Dr. Chester Tulga, T-U-L-G-A, a Baptist fundamentalist, wrote the following seven-point conclusion to his 1954 booklet, The Doctrine of Right and Wrong in These Times. And then this article that I'm reading says, consider the truth of his words. I'm still trying to find a copy of the booklet, The Doctrine of Right and Wrong in These Times, written in 1954. I think it would be interesting to read the whole booklet, maybe not do a podcast podcast episodes about it, but I would be interested. Uh, But we started working through these seven points. We looked at number one, we looked at number two, we looked at number three, and we've looked at number four. I will not go back and review. You can go back and listen to those episodes. So today it brings us to number five. Now, number five is a paragraph. This is a long point. So I don't think we'll be able to get to number uh, six. Six and seven are short. So we'll just use five by itself. So for today's focus, for today's focus, even though there's a feeling here that, man, what am I doing? Am I I embarrassing myself? Is this a waste of time? Even though I feel that way, we're going to look at this point and hopefully you will derive something from it and it will be beneficial. All right. So here is point number five. Now, why we're doing this is many of these points written in 1954 to me, sound like they could be written in 2023, which says a lot about society. And I think there's a whole doctrine of of looking into some of these issues that so many times the issues we complain about in 2023 are the issues people were complaining about in 1950 and 1900 and 1850 and 1700, because many of these issues are a result of our human depravity. And well, we can get into all of those discussions, but let's see what he had to say. And number five, here we go. It's a long paragraph. If you're trying to take notes, the best I can do is say, let me read all of this and then you can summarize it. All right, here we go. This confusion, and I'm quoting, this confusion concerning truth and morals. Now stop right here. Now, when he's talking about the confusion about truth and morals, he believed that in 1954, there was massive confusion about truth and morals in the culture and in the church. That basically people had lost the concept of truth and morals and everything had become, relativism had started to creep in and was beginning to dominate the church and the culture. And this was written in 1954. This confusion concerning truth and morals has resulted in the glorification of compromise. So according to him in 1954, we have mass confusion of truth and morals. And this has led to a glorification of compromise. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, let me continue the quote. The decline of moral indignation and a general atmosphere of mutual exoneration in which sinners reassure each other when convicted of wrongdoing. So he feels like, he felt like what was happening is that in 1954, there was such a confusion about moral and morality and truth 
that it was leading to this kind of this attitude, this general atmosphere of like, hey, you sin, I sin, let's reassure each other when we're convicted of wrongdoing. We don't need to feel bad. He goes on to say, men are exhorted to trust one another indiscriminately and regardless of whether they are worthy of trust. So there's confusion about morality and truth. This leads to kind of just a, hey, no one should feel bad. We're all sinners and we shouldn't be that convicted in wrongdoing. And then it also led to, you should just trust people. You should just trust people, even if they're not, quote unquote, trustworthy. Basing this exhortation upon a too optimistic view of human nature, men are exhorted to use the positive approach and avoid the negative for presumably there is some sort of eminent divinity in man to which these values appeal. Now, that's wordy, and you may go, What's the point in all of this? Well, let's try to take this apart. According to him, in 1954, he looked around and he saw a society and a church that was becoming extremely confused about truth and morality. This was leading to just kind of a, a very, hey, it's, we're, we're all sinners. Don't feel bad. I won't feel bad. We don't have to feel bad. And hey, you can trust Anyone and everyone. In other words, almost an optimistic view about failure and about other people. And he says that this all basically came from, this was all based on the idea of a too optimistic view of human nature. So in other words, he said, what, what basically had happened is, now obviously it happened within the culture. We, we would expect that. But it started creeping into the church instead of seeing people as totally depraved that we saw them as not fully depraved. There was an optimistic view of human nature within the church. And as they, as he describes it, men were, were because there was this, hey, men are not totally depraved. We don't need such a negative approach. We don't need to be so negative to people. We can be positive. And he says the reason this was occurring is because there was almost this idea that there was an imminent divinity in man. Like there's divinity right there in man just waiting. It's just waiting. It's right there. It's ready to, to come forth. And, and because that, that divinity is right there inside of us, then the, the, the positive values would appeal to them. And so all we, we didn't have to be negative. All we have to do was appeal to that imminent divinity within man and say, hey, you should love people. Hey, you should love. We, we don't need to be negative. We don't need to talk about the wrongdoing. We just emphasize this positive message and this imminent deity wants these values and will respond positively to it. Now, that's what he says was happening in the church in 1954. Now, first of all, this is a clear sign that even in 1954, there was some major theological things happening. And it, it goes way before. I want to make sure you understand. 1954, having a too optimistic view of man, it, 
First of all, it'd be hard to me to imagine that in 1954, anyone would have an optimistic view of man considering, you know, World War II. Like I, I, I would have, I would have given up on humanity by if I lived through World War. I mean, I've given up you on humanity as it is. Forget, and I never even lived near World War II. But okay, after World War II, so it's just weird that this would kind of creep in. But at the same time, I want to make sure you understand this is nothing new. What was going on in 1954 goes all the way back to the time of Pelagius. And his concept we refer to as Pelagianism, which denied the depravity of man, that we did not inherit a sin nature, that man was basically good and therefore perfect men was possible even without regeneration. Now, I'm going through the basic elements of Pelagius and, and, and Pelagianism, and I've, I've, I've covered and studied before the 18 points of Pelagianism, but clearly th- that's, this was the view. Now, this view obviously has dominated human psychology, right? If you go to a, a psychologist, certain counselors, they almost operate from a worldview that people are basically good and we're products of our environment, and our environment determines what happens to us. Now, I do believe our environment has profound impact upon us, but our issues is a depravity that lies from within us. There is no imminent divinity inside of me. There is a total, a depraved heart that is wicked and deceitful above all things. There is sin inside of me, regenerate or unregenerate. We have a sinful nature and we will continue to sin. This he says the confusion about truth and mor- mor- morality kind of he he almost says it's the confusion about truth and morality that leads to this wrong thinking but i believe this wrong thinking naturally flows from our sinful nature because our sinful nature will always tend to give a more optimistic view of ourselves a more opti- op- optimistic view of others it will always see that we're better than we really think we are, and it will always lead to us confounding truth and morality for our own benefit and our own pleasure. He he seems to go with the, the confusion leads to these other things of thinking, but I believe depravity is what our, our thinking flows from our depravity. So we have a wrong thinking of ourself a wrong view of ourself and our wrong our view of truth and morality because of our depravity. But th- these problems are have been pre- prevalent in the church and outside the church forever. We have to have a more biblical and correct understanding of human depravity and human s- sinfulness. And that our wrong thinking, this really kind of fits in with what we talked about yesterday in our study on discernment, Genesis chapter 3, trying to understand like discernment's inside of us, what feeds, what, what really drives that discernment. Well, the one thing we are, as a Christian, our discernment is already greatly hindered because we have a sinful nature. Discernment is inside of us, a sinful nature, nature is inside of us, and that sinful nature always will drive our discernment to discern something in an incorrect way. He believes, and let me read this all again, the confusion concerning truth and morals has resulted in the glorification of compromise, the decline of moral indignation, and a general atmosphere of mutual exoneration. 
in which sinners reassure each other when convicted of wrongdoing. Men are exhorted to trust one another indiscriminately and regardless of whether they're worthy of trust. Basing the exhortation upon a too optimistic view of human nature, men are exhorted to to use the positive approach and to avoid the negative, for presumably there is some sort of imminent divinity in man which these values appeal. And I believe these concepts have been, has infiltrated the church all, for, for basically the entire history of the church. Going back to Pelagius and Pelagianism, which ba- you can call it semi-Pelagianism, whatever you want to reference it, but we have a Pelagian way of thinking that has crept through the evangelical church at large. Society has clearly embraced a Pelagian view of man, that we are basically good, that there is no depravity inside of us. But as a Christian, if we believe depravity is inside of us, then we have to know that depravity leads to wrong thinking. Depraved nature, because our mind is impacted by our depravity, our emotions are impacted by our depravity, every part of us is impacted by our depravity. Because we are depraved, every aspect of our being is impacted by it. And so these wrong concepts flow from it. So I don't believe it's because the confusion was outside, which led to the confusion inside. I believe the confusion outside is a result of the confusion that arises from inside all of us. See, I think this is where Christians constantly get it wrong. We, we always want to see, we look at society and go, look at what's wrong. Look, look at, it, it's Netflix, it's Hollywood, it's liberals. It's, we always want to, we got to have a tangible victim, or, or, or not victim. We have to have a, a, a tangible villain. That's the word. We have to have a, a tangible criminal. We have to have someone we can blame, right? We got to have something tangible. Like we, that it's HBO, it's cable TV, it's video games, it's music. We, we always have to look to these external things and say, and so here he's looking at society, you're like, look, everybody's confused about truth and morality, and it leads to these problems. And I think we have it wrong. The, the reason we have all of these things in society that we believe is so wrong and so bad is because of the depravity that is inside of us. It's human depravity that creates these things. The problem is always human depravity. So what we have a tendency to do is then go after these things. Well, look at them. They teach wrong about this. They t- and I, we, have to, we have to expose these things that are wrong or that are harmful. But the real issue is inside of us. The real issue is our depravity. I think it's important. Do you look for an external villain or do you look for the internal reality that we are the villain and these other things are the result of human depravity i i i know that may you may say i don't I don't, I don't see the difference because sometimes this is what people will say. So you're saying we shouldn't worry about these external things. I'm just saying that even if you remove all these external things, the problem is inside your heart and my heart. Now, these other things may feed that depravity, appeal to that depravity, may try to, to try to, you know, basically set that depravity afire with 
uh, passion or lust or whatever the issue may be, but the issue is still inside of us. That's, that means no matter where we are, no matter what the circumstances are, the depravity will manifest itself in some way, whether there's a Netflix or a video game or, or music or whatever the case may be. And it just feels like that in 1954, he's like, the confusion concerning truth and, mor- and morality, so he's, he's noting that it's this confusion about truth and morality. Now that results in the glorification of compromise, the decline of moral indignation, a general atmosphere of mu- mutual exoneration in which sinners reassure each other when convicted of wrongdoing. Men are exhorted to trust one another indiscriminately, reg- regardless of whether they're worthy of trust. Uh, basing the exhortation upon a too optimistic view of human nature, men are exhorted to use the positive approach and avoid the negatives, for presumably there is some sort of imminent divinity in man which these values appeal." To me, it feels like he's like, these things, are the, this external problem about truth and morality has led to all of these issues. And I would argue, no, it's the internal depravity that leads to these other things. The problem is inside of you. The problem is inside of me. That's where the issue is. The villain that I'm looking for is inside of me. Right? Your, your children, their issues is, it, it, they're, 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 oh, we're always worried about, I'm not going to let the world corrupt my child. Your child's already corrupted. I'm not going to let bad friends corrupt. Your child's already corrupted by depravity. I understand that these other things you may say will feed it, but we have to look at it. We've got to have the right order. Now, I think it's interesting that he sees these problems that are happening in the culture and in the church. And I think it's interesting that he really points to this positive approach. Why would people take, why does the church take a positive approach? seeker sensitive service that type of thing and we're going to be positive we're not going to be negative because they almost deny human depravity it's a wrong teaching but the wrong teaching is a result flows from human depravity human depravity will always deny its human depravity will say I'm not depraved and, and exalt itself as being better than it is. Better, it will put forth a wrong understanding of self. Human depravity leads to a wrong understanding of self. That's why, listen, this is very important. The only way to get a correct understanding of self is not to base it off a feeling you have about yourself. Here's the theological answer. The only way to truly know yourself is to truly see God. This is, remember the formula? Until we see God. Well, when we see God as he truly is, then we see ourselves as we truly are. When we see God as he truly is, then we see ourselves as we truly are. You will never truly see yourself, understand yourself until you see God. This is why theology is the highest form of highest subject in education. It should be because theological knowledge, when I am confronted with the reality of who God is, then I can see myself as I truly am. And when I see myself as I truly am, I see my depravity. I see how it impacts my emotions, my desires, my thinking, and how everything is caught. Everything is messed up because it flows from a corrupted source. 
but I cannot see that corruption. I cannot feel that corruption. I cannot understand that corruption until I am confronted with the reality of God. The reality of God. I I can't see anything as it truly is until I see God in his fullness. And we take this concept from Isaiah 6. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, then what, woe is me, I am undone. He, he as a prophet pronounced a curse upon himself because he was confronted with the reality of God. Until he saw God high and lifted up, he probably saw himself as high and lifted up. The wrong view of man stems from either a denial of God or ignoring the reality of God. But once we see God as he is, then I can see myself as I truly am. I mean, that's, and that concept, there's nothing new. I believe it flows from Isaiah 6. It's clearly articulated by John Calvin and the Institutes of the Christian Religion in the first volume. I think it may be chapter, it's one of the early chapters in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Everyone should read, even if you, who cares if you agree with Calvin? I disagree with Calvin on a lot of things, like infant baptism. I obviously strongly disagree with him on that, but his institutes are beautiful and at least at the beginning articulating this very powerful principle. Our, our, our understanding is all wrong until we see God. And then once we see God, then our understanding of every God is the ultimate. The more we learn of God, the more we see reality as it is. The more, if we don't see God as he is, our, our perception of reality becomes flawed. Well, here he says, The confusion concerning truth and morality has resulted in the glorification of compromise. And he goes through all these different things. And it ends with this idea of a, you know, it's a too optimistic view of human nature, where you're going to have an optimistic view of human nature until you see God. So, 1954 meet 2023. Let me read this paragraph one more time. This confusion concerning truth and morals has resulted in the glorification of compromise, the decline of moral indignation, and a general atmosphere of mutual exoneration in which sinners reassure each other when convicted of wrongdoing. Men are exhorted to trust one another indiscriminately and regardless of whether they are worthy of trust. Basing this exhortation upon a too optimistic view of human nature, men are exhorted to use the positive approach and avoid negative, for presumably there is some sort of imminent divinity in man which these values appeal. I've kind of given you something to think about. Maybe I haven't given you one specific thing to focus on, but a number of things to focus on. And I would love to get your thoughts. You can email them to me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That is your today's focus. For Monday, January the 23rd, 2023.